Hello, and welcome to Behind the Horror. Scary movie fans, such as myself, will hear that a movie is based on a true story. A few of them we know, but most, well, we never go on to find out just what that true story is. So in this series, we will explore and find out exactly what the true story is behind the movies we love. The 1992 movie, Bram Stoker's Dracula, is about a historical prince who goes off to fight in a war, only to return to find out that his most beloved wife was told that he was dead and she committed suicide. Right then and there, he curses God. He pierces a cross with his sword and drinks the blood that spews from it. Then hundreds of years later, we are taken to London, where young couple Mina and Jonathan are forced to put off their wedding because Jonathan has to travel to Transylvania to help put some affairs in order for an old prince. While he is there, he is snared into a deadly web with Dracula himself and his three vampire concubines. Dracula then sees Jonathan's photo of Mina, and he sees that she looks exactly like his late wife, so he travels to London to win her affections. What happens next? Those of you who have seen the movie know, and the rest? Well, you should see it. There is a cheese factor, but it is a really good movie. Now, before I get into the real story, I actually want to share something with you guys. This podcast is kind of one of those really surreal moments in my life. As I began my usual routine for getting podcasts ready, you know, writing out all of my notes because I'm awkward and I stumble all over myself when I'm speaking, something dawned on me. My life has, at this moment, come full circle, as they say. So I saw Bram Stoker's Dracula in theaters when I was a young teen, to tell on my age. Now, when I was a little kid, I was actually terrified of Dracula. But this movie made me very curious. Around the same time, my teacher assigned my class a two-page research paper in English about anything we wanted. Somehow, by some miracle, my small school had a book in the library talking about this true story, and I wound up writing a 10-page research paper, eight more pages than assigned. This story was the beginning of my curiosity about true, scary stories, of, quote, telling stories, and now, beyond my wildest imagination, I'm podcasting about it. So there you go. Also, this story is from quite literally hundreds of years ago, and it has some twists and turns, but stick with me. It's quite interesting. And I know how some of you just love my disclaimers, but there are a lot of names of places and people in this story that I'm 100% sure I'm not going to pronounce correctly. So be nice. Okay. This movie is based on a very real person named Vlad Dracul III, who lived in the 1400s. 
He was known by a few different names, such as Vlad Tepes, Vlad Dracula, and Vlad the Impaler, to name a few. He was the second son born to his parents. So, Vlad's father was Vlad Dracul II, or Vlad the Dragon, and was born before 1395. Vlad II was the illegitimate son of Mircea I of Wallachia and later became a member of the Order of the Dragon in 1431. He was also the voivode or ruler of Wallachia in the southern Carpathian Mountains. Transylvania and Moldova were to its north. It's now part of Romania. The Order of the Dragon was created under the King of Hungary in 1408, and it was an order of knighthood, a fraternity of knights, if you will, for selected nobility. After this, Vlad II settled in Transylvania because he couldn't rule over Wallachia while his half-brother and recognized heir to their father was basically ruling that area. So after his brother died, Vlad II seized Wallachia with Hungary's full support. But when Hungary's king died, Vlad didn't really have that backing anymore. So he was forced to ally himself with a nephew of his, and together they invaded Transylvania during the summer of 1438. Once the dust settled the ruler of Transylvania approached Vlad II in Wallachia and asked him to join the crusade against the Ottomans in 1441. He was subsequently captured by the Ottoman army in 1442. So that's some history on Vlad the Impaler's father. So now, just before this capture, this is where our Vlad, Vlad III, comes into play. Vlad Dracul III, which we will now just call Vlad, was born into a proud lineage of ruling warlords, his father of course being Vlad II, and our Vlad was born on or near 1431 in Wallachia, now Romania. His grandfather fought endlessly against the Ottoman Empire and Turkish occupation of Wallachia. Vlad's father was, as we already know, an illegitimate child, and when our Vlad's grandfather died, there was so much fighting within the family that would continue throughout the century. At the time of Vlad's birth, his father was guarding the mountain passes in Shegeshwar from Transylvania to Wallachia. Vlad took on the last name of Dracul, the Order of the Dragon, just as his father had. Vlad's mother was believed to be Eupraxia. He was the second of four sons, though not all of them had the same mother. His father at some point wrote about being proud of his firstborn sons and mentioned Vlad specifically. But he was born into a time where there was a lot of blood and war surrounding his homeland. In 1436, when his father was ruling Wallachia and when Vlad was about five years old, he was sent to Targoviste, which was the capital of Wallachia at that time, 
to be educated and taught how to be a knight and possible future leader. So this brings us up to when his father was captured by the Ottoman army in 1442. Our Vlad would have been about 11 years old. So to try to negotiate with the Ottoman Sultan, his father traded Vlad and one of his younger brothers, Radu, to the Sultan and in return, his father would be released and would then show support of the Ottoman policies and Turkish interests. Way to go, Dad. Now, Radu won favor with the Sultan, but no real harm came to either of the boys during their captivity. Then their father had somehow been convinced that his sons had been murdered, and he turned his allegiance to the then King of Poland and Hungary against the Turks during the Crusade of Varna in 1444. Three years later, as Hungary invaded Wallachia, Vlad's father and Vlad's oldest brother were killed in battle. The king then put one of Vlad's random cousins on the throne. Now, Vlad and Radu were finally released in 1448. Vlad was about 17 years old, but Radu chose to stay with the Turks. So when Vlad got back to Wallachia, he discovered that his father had been murdered and his older brother had been tortured brutally and buried alive by some of the noblemen from that area who supported the Turkish rule. The fight between the Christian-ruled Europe and the Muslim-ruled Turks would now begin to escalate. Vlad Dracul was becoming the merciless and bone-chilling leader that he has become famous for. Vlad decided to fight for kingdom and country to get his people's region back. There were times where he was not successful, even having to fight against his own younger brother. But around 1456, when Vlad was about 25 years old, he was finally able to take his lands back from the Turks. It was also during these bloody battles when he would use the goriest, most extreme tactics to ensure his continued reign. And keep in mind, during these times, it was already extremely bloody and violent. So for the locals to describe him as overly gory and extreme must have been crazy. Vlad Dracul once he was able to successfully regain power of his country against the Turks, word spread quickly of just what he did to his enemies to accomplish this. So let's set the scene. Constantinople had fallen. Thousands of people were executed. So Vlad started with the elderman who had murdered his father and older brother. The torture they endured was just the beginning. He, of course, invited them humbly to a grand banquet, then had them stabbed with spikes. The spikes set upward while the bodies were still twitching. Vlad then invited Turkish leaders to come and try to work out a sort of peace. The Turks refused to remove their turbans, stating it was against their religious beliefs. 
So Vlad made sure that they would never be able to remove their turbans again because he had them nailed to their skulls and he was just starting to get warmed up. Vlad Dracul had armies of his enemies impaled on these long stakes, the final number estimated at around 20,000. He then gathered their blood into a sort of chalice and he drank it in front of the people who would doubt him. He was also said to have dipped bread into that blood and ate the bread while people watched in horror. He would then have the doubters marched up the Arjesh River to use as slave labor to build his fortress. The survivors were later impaled. So just imagine this, guys. There were fields of decomposing, impaled corpses, and it was so visually disturbing that it was written that many Turkish armies turned and ran in terror at the sight of them. Oh, and Vlad also had his enemies water poisoned, and he sent diseased people into enemy territory to infect them. Vlad Dracul used other forms of torture, such as he would bury people in the ground up to their waist, then have arrows shot at them. He would also have these fire pits dug, then put wooden planks across the hole. He would then wedge his enemies' necks between the boards, head down of course, and let their heads roast. He thought of these twisted yet effective techniques to make sure the Turks understood he would do what it took to keep them out. Needless to say, Vlad was not screwing around. Now he had been successful where nearly every other principality in the region had been bitterly defeated. His completely terrified enemies spoke of his evil and disturbing acts, but his allies talked of his bravery and his need to defend his homelands, to maintain law and order, as well as avenge the murders of his family. Vlad was often warring against his own younger brother who unfortunately fought for the Turks. Now Vlad was known to hold merchants accountable for economic bribery and his people benefited. Vlad was also less than sympathetic to his own people who appeared too lazy to contribute to the country. Everyone worked hard for the cause, or else. On one occasion, he invited a group of such people to dine with him in this great hall. He fed them. He entertained them. He then locked them in and set the building on fire. He then announced that those people would no longer be a burden to the rest of his people who actually worked and earned their living. And I mean anyone, be it nobleman, monk, priest, or regular citizen that lied or was a thief, was executed, and being rich would absolutely not buy your safety. Vlad did not tolerate injustice whatsoever. Now there exists a wood carving that actually describes Vlad. Quote, here begins a very cruel, frightening story about a wild, bloodthirsty man, Prince Dracula. How he impaled people and roasted them and boiled their heads in a kettle 
and skinned people and hacked them to pieces like cabbage. He also roasted the children of mothers and they had to eat the children themselves. And many other horrible things are written in this tract and in the land he ruled. Unquote. The Ottoman Sultan ordered Vlad to appear before him and personally pay homage to the Turks. He then sent some of his people to fetch Vlad, who promptly captured all of them and had them impaled. However, such as any great rise to power, it was not to last. Eventually, the Turks were able to fight back, trying to give Radu the throne and thus forcing Vlad to have to retreat and take refuge in the Carpathian Mountains. His wife at the time, who had bore him a son, climbed to the tallest tower and jumped to her death to the river below, rather than be taken prisoner. Vlad himself retreated to Transylvania to seek asylum in 1462 with the king of Hungary, but the king had him imprisoned, where he remained for 14 years. When he was released, he was about 44 years old in 1475. Now, Vlad Dracul's younger brother, Radu, who had always sided with the Turks as we know, became the ruler of Wallachia while Vlad was captured. But Radu died in 1475, the same year that Vlad was released and Vlad's people put him right back in power. Vlad was again the voivode of Wallachia, and again stories of his cruelty spread all the way into Germany and Italy. He fought against the Turks in Bosnia in 1476. Here is an actual quote from Vlad's writings. Quote, I have killed peasants, men and women, old and young, where the Danube flows into the sea, up to Rehova. We killed 23,884 Turks without counting those whom we burned in homes or the Turks whose head were cut by our soldiers. Unquote. Then, less than a year later, as Vlad was marching to battle against the Turks yet again, he was captured, he was killed, decapitated, and dismembered, his head taken to the Turkish Sultan as a trophy. So, between two wives, Vlad actually had five children, but only one took over his father's crusade, Minea. He was just as brutal as his father, but he was not on the throne long. And all of Vlad's direct and indirect descendants were officially dead by the end of the 1600s. Now, Vlad's official resting place is hotly debated. It is said that he was buried in a monastery church on the northern edge of the modern city of Bucharest, which would have been the tradition during his life. But it has been discovered that there is actually no tomb where it was said to be. It just has like horse jawbones in it, which led historians to believe he might have been buried in a different monastery between Bucharest and the Danube, which is closer to where he was killed. The Pope during that time wrote of Vlad's cruelty in his commentaries. Poems were written about him and his, quote, unheard of cruelty and justice. 
one thing is certain. He is, to this day, considered a hero in his native lands. The locals stated that his cruelty was necessary to restore order in Wallachia. They say he punished criminals. He executed unpatriotic citizens to strengthen his government. He was considered a reformer who was desperately trying to protect his people from the Turks and was therefore forced to commit these horrible acts of violence in an attempt to scare the Turks away permanently. Sometimes he is depicted as battling not only the Ottoman Empire, but also the Strigoi, or living vampires as opposed to the undead ones, and battling other evil spirits to protect his people. So this brings us to Bram Stoker. He, of course, as we all know, is the author of Dracula, which he wrote in 1897. It is believed that Stoker got the idea for his character after meeting Armin Vanbury, who was a writer and traveler born in and from what is now Slovakia. It is thought that Armin most likely told Stoker stories of dark things that happened in the Carpathian Mountains, because after, Stoker spent years researching Central and Eastern Europe folklore, as well as stories of vampires from the region. But his story is, of course, fiction. Vlad Dracul was either in battle, imprisoned, or somewhere in between nearly his entire life, trying to regain his father's seat and control of his native lands and was trying desperately to protect his people. Thanks for listening.